Welcome to the PMPA Speaking of Precision podcast, featuring your hosts, Carly Kistler-Miller and Miles Free. Hello, I'm Miles Free, and welcome to PMPA's Monday with Miles, Speaking of Precision. Joining me today is Carly Kistler-Miller, and our topic is to focus on emergency action plan. So this is one of those actions that you don't think of until you need it. Hopefully today, we can help you develop a plan before you need it. Hopefully, you never will need to put your plan into action. According to OSHA standard 1910.38, means of egress, action plans, an employer must have an emergency action plan in writing if they have 10 or more employees. At a minimum, that emergency action plan must include procedures for reporting a fire or other emergency. That could be uh, one position, maybe an employee such as a receptionist who is always by a phone that's responsible to call or make an announcement. There needs to be a way for all employees to be able to contact that receptionist, or perhaps the employees are empowered to call it in, but again, they need an effective means of communication. Yeah, in case of a fire, most time the fire alarms automatically notify the fire department, but it's important to check because there are some older systems that don't automatically do that. And of course, if there's a different emergency other than a fire, there needs to be easy to remember and follow procedures in place. And it's best to post those procedures where the communication is happening, like by the wall, by the phones. Procedures for emergency evacuation, including type of evacuation and exit route assignments, is 1910.38C2 of the code. There also need to be clear routes and who goes where. For example, if you're in the break room, your exit may be different than if you're on the shop floor. I really think it needs to be more uh, formal than having a sticky note under evacuation route that says run. (laughs) It's very true. Sticky notes are also notorious for falling down. So clear, clear directions are what we need here. The routes need to be posted clearly and they need to be practiced. Procedures to be followed by employees that remain to operate critical uh, plant operations or implement shutdown practices are covered in 1910.38C3. There are some employees that are required to power down equipment, make sure utilities are shut off, those kind of uh, activities. So procedures to account for all employees after evacuation, which is 1910.38C4. It's interesting. I used to work for school systems, and the schools have a particular way to account for all those kids. If you think about the size of the buildings, the amount of the kids, plus teachers and principals and administration, So this can work for a business, too, no matter how big. I mean, if you're a smaller operation, it's easy to count 10 heads and know that everybody's there. But if you need to account for many people, it can be mind-boggling, especially in an emergency when panic is in play. So regardless of size, everyone should evacuate to one area that is a safe distance from the emergency. 
there should be a list at the very least of how many people are in the building at any given time. Ideally, it would be good to have everyone's names, but at least you need to know how many people you're expecting to be out in that area. So then you assign your employees to a group, group one, group two, you can name it however you want, and have them line up in that group. Yes, like the kids you see in the school, it is best to line them up because you need to be able to count them quickly. The group leader should have a plastic sheet with a red piece of paper on one side and a green piece of paper on the other side. If everyone in, is in the group, they hold up the green. If someone's missing, they hold up the red. That way, the one person who's in charge to make sure that all the groups are there can see quickly, and if there's a red, they can move quickly. There needs to be, it could be the owner, it could be a key personnel, but there needs to be one person who is in charge to make sure that all the signs are showing red or green. That uh, comes naturally to us in manufacturing as visual management. The idea of groups in a school system, obviously a classroom would be a group, a logical group. All the administrative or all the cafeteria help could be a group. In our uh, manufacturing operations, maybe our groups would be by department. Maybe they would be by location, such as office versus shop, cleaning and shipping versus uh, the machining, uh, that kind of thing. So you can be flexible with your groups, but the answer to the un unspoken question is, who's the logical person that knows what to expect for the headcount in each group, maybe a lead, team lead, maybe a supervisor. But visitors can be an issue too. Do you uh, account for visitors in these groups? Oh yes, and visitors should always be required to sign in. That's gonna be the only way that one person knows how many extra people are in the building. So there should be one person one position who's responsible for grabbing that list and accounting for the visitors after the evacuation. So if it's the receptionist and five visitors uh, have signed in, they're going to grab that list, go out to the evacuation area, and make sure that there are five visitors there. That is their own group, so that person should also have a, a red and green indicator. That sounds like an easy-to-implement practice. So the OSHA standard requires us to have procedures to be followed by our employees who may be assigned to do rescue or medical duties. One of the uh, key things is you can't expect someone to do rescue or medical duties if they're not actually trained for that. And so you should have someone on each shift that's trained as first aid responder unless your shop or, or operation is so small that that's not necessary. Or if you're within a one or two minute drive of an emergency room, as was my experience when I ran the steel mill down in Georgia. The um, name or the job title of every employee that may be contacted who need more information about the plan or explanation of their duties is also required. It's, it's not enough to have a plan, but your employees <laughs> truly need to know who to turn to for information about the way your emergency plan uh, functions. So you need to have that posted as well. So, okay, we've done the regulations. That's what we're required to do. But 
let's step into reality. What else has to be considered when we're talking about evacuating a building? What is often overlooked is that we, we really need to practice this if we're going to get it right. And I had a splendid question from Karina Ramanowskis at Pioneer Service about uh, doing a fire drill. And what's so difficult about doing a fire drill? Well, if you're in Illinois in January, you probably don't want to go outside for 10 minutes without your coat, without the car keys, without things to keep you comfortable and safe, uh, depending on the weather. So I, I credit Karina for bringing this to our attention, that we need to have a plan for our employees to get access to their coats, their jackets, or else we need to provide blankets or other outerwear in the event that there is inclement weather. And also, nobody wants to leave their wallet, car keys, cell phone in their locker or inaccessible in the case of an emergency, even for the fire drill. But if you're then asked to evacuate the, the premises because it is a real fire, the last place you want your car keys and your cell phone and wallet is trapped inside a burning building. If your procedures don't cover some means for your employees to safely access their things, um, your plans could fail as your employees take it on themselves to rescue their key paperwork, their phone, and the keys essential to getting them safely home. If you don't uh, have a plan for this, you should probably schedule a discussion about where to keep outerwear, wallets, keys, and cell phones if they're forbidden on the shop floor so that your employees will have an easy-to-follow way to retrieve them during the emergency. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. I, but if you're in the middle of an emergency, your human instinct is going to come over and you're going to think, I need my phone, I need my keys, I need my wallet, and the whole evacuation route thing goes right out the door and you end up with a bottleneck. So, yeah, if you got a plan in place, hopefully that doesn't become an issue for you. Well, I just wanted to, to thank and credit Karina at Pioneer Service for bringing that up because it really is an important issue for us as employers. Under this standard, there's a requirement that our employers must have and maintain an employee alarm system. The employee alarm system must use a distinctive signal for each purpose. We had this in the schools too. There were different beeps. So a constant beep was a fire, a pattern of two beeps was a tornado. You'd start to hear the beep and start talking to yourself, okay, how many beeps? So you knew exactly which evacuation route you were supposed to go on. Once that alarm goes off and you hear the signal, the uh, requirement for the employer is to have designated and trained employees to assist in managing a safe and orderly evacuation of the other employees. This would naturally fall on a designated group leader that we mentioned earlier, but it could also be someone who's in charge or responsible for a certain area. Carly, you mentioned that receptionist, their job is red or green for the visitors. Exactly, and all the plans in the world don't do any good if the information isn't communicated. 
an employer must review the emergency action plan with each employee covered by the plan, both when the plan is developed or if the employee is assigned a different job or when the employee's responsibilities change under the plan. So if somebody is responsible for part of this plan, they need to know about it at the beginning and if anything changes. And if you're communicating this kind of training, it's really important for you to record it in writing when that audit uh, or field officer from OSHA comes by and wants to confirm that you do, in fact, have a process in place. Written, written evidence of training is the gold standard in OSHA compliance. So what you said is absolutely correct. If you're going to make a change, you need to communicate it. It needs to be uh, evidence of that communication recorded, and you need to uh, do a dry run every once in a while. As, as Karina pointed out, probably not in January uh, in Chicago, uh, to make sure that your process and your people are working as planned. If you have any other questions about this, you can just Google OSHA 1910.38 emergency action plans, and you can that will take you to the standard itself. That ends our discussion on emergency action planning. Thank you for joining me and Carly. For additional information, please visit pmpa.org, and don't forget to join me next Monday on Monday with Miles, Speaking of Precision. <music>